Team Chocolate Croissant stand up. Yes, nailed it. Justin here. Thanks for joining us for episode 51 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Our guest this week is Eric Kenry. Eric wears many hats, and when I say many, I really do mean many. Currently, Eric wears the hats of fitness and nutrition coach, gym owner, successful ice cream and junk food reviewer on various social platforms. But most importantly, he wears the hat of husband and dad. He's a prime example of a true family man who will do anything and everything for his family. Eric strives to leave a legacy that his kids will be proud of. And I think we can all get down with that idea. I want to preface the start of this podcast by letting you know that it starts off quite professional wrestling heavy. Jordan, actually, he currently, uh, some of you may know this, but he works with Ring of Honor Wrestling, an organization that Eric was actually once a champion of back in the late 2000s. Yeah, another hat that we didn't even touch on. Uh, There are great lessons that can be taught through professional wrestling, and we make sure to highlight those for all of you. Shifting gears, let me send some love to our sponsor this week, and that is Nata Tattoo. Nata Tattoo is a certified all-natural, all-vegan, and 100% USDA-certified organic tattoo aftercare line. Uh, We're currently running a Facebook contest where you can win one of their lovely tattoo care kits. So if you head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants, you can enter the contest. Uh, Also, if you pop on over to natatattoo.com, and that's N-A-T-A-T-A-T, the number two, dot com, you can use the code CHOCOLATE all caps, 25, that's chocolate with the numbers 25, at checkout and you will receive 25% off anything in Nata Tattoo's web store. So there you go. All right, that's it for me. Grab a pint of ice cream, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Mr. Eric Kenry. Kenry, K-E-N-R-Y-E. That's how you pronounce it, yeah. What is that? It's German, but it's spelled much more complicated. Ah, I like it. Well, guess what, man? You're episode 51 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Thanks for being here. So this is this is weird. Did you get a chance to check out the, the info that Justin sent to you? I browsed it. I had quite the... Uh, busy day. Sometimes my son doesn't want to sleep as much as I need him to, and I find myself uh, crunched for time. It seems like everybody has a pretty diverse background. I, I, I just, like I said, I skimmed the book. I lie to you guys and pretend that I, 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 I read through it. Um, I do sometimes find myself flying by the seat of my pants, but that's something that I've come become accustomed to as a dad. I was a bit, I'm like kind of a big control freak, so one of the hardest things, and, and Kelsey's like this too, one of the hardest adjustments I had to make as a dad is kind of letting go of some of that understanding that sometimes your days aren't going to develop the way that uh, you'd like them to. So uh, basically, like we put him down about 10 minutes ago. I was doing some work stuff, responded to some emails, looked at the thing, make sure there wasn't anything I needed to know. And I figured I would just talk to you guys and you would fill me in on what I, what I do need to know. So... When Justin first told me about you a couple weeks ago, uh, now Justin connected through uh, or with you through being uh, I guess a fitness and nutrition uh, student professional. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as he started, I guess, digging into your content a bit more, he's like, yo, this dude was a pro wrestler, but I didn't figure it out. I kept seeing pictures with Roger Strong trying to put this connection together. And I was like, it was just not making any sense. I just figured it's like a, a Florida thing. Maybe it's the Sarasota thing. I was just like, it was a Florida thing. Right. I I mean, I figured it was that, but I was like, maybe they're just like homies from way back. You know, they've got little kids now. So now the kids are friends, but then it came together and this was last Saturday night, I think. And I called Jordan and was like, "I, I got it. I figured it out. He's like, this dude was in ring of honor. And the listeners of this podcast know that for the past six months, I've been working full time with ring of honor. Uh, which to me was like, what a synchronistic, crazy thing for this to happen. Have you, how long have you been familiar with learning about a product were you since uh, back in the day? Or not not so it? much. Uh, mostly post Sinclair, uh, since okay. we're Baltimore based and once Sinclair, uh, took over, they were doing TV tapings pretty much every month in Baltimore. So I started going to it and we didn't have HD net on our cable uh, plan. Well, you didn't, you didn't miss much. So, right? <laughs> oh, um, I mean, that's not true. We just launched uh, our streaming service honor club. And like, everyone is asking for that pre Sinclair content, man. I don't know. I have very, I have a very strong opinion when it comes to, uh, I actually just did a podcast. The other day. It hasn't been released yet. I, I did a wrestling podcast. It was three and a half hours long. It turned into like a career retrospective, which is pretty, I, I didn't, didn't plan to do it. The guy did some of his research. I, I couldn't help. And he jogged my memory about a lot of things. And to me, Ring of Honor getting that TV deal with HGNet was the beginning of the end of my wrestling career because I never wanted to, to be on TV. That was never, a lot of guys, you know, money's associated with being on TV. That's clear. But that was never why I got into wrestling. Um, I always wanted to go to Japan. I always wanted to wrestle in Japan. I never got the chance to, but I was always more um, focused on the, the sport aspect, the performance aspect, not so much the money aspect. Now, in retrospect, it was very short-sighted and immature of me. I probably should have focused more on making more money and not letting my body degrade uh, for so little pay, but you know, I loved wrestling, and... Um, Unfortunately, wrestling didn't love me back, but I never wanted to be on TV. I never wanted to be in FCW, which is the precursor of NXT, for those of you guys who don't know. I never wanted to be in WWE. A lot of my friends did. I never wanted to do that. In a perfect world, I would have been doing exactly what the Bucks um, are doing right now, making a living. Uh, guys like Joey Ryan, guys like that, making a living, doing the indies, doing out of, out of, out of U.S. bookings and uh, selling merch and, and stuff like that and making a living. Uh, on the independence because that was where I felt the best. You know, I, there was a satisfaction to me in that kind of product. And once we went to TV, I'd never done anything on TV before except Sands a couple job matches for TNA. Uh, it, it was just, it was just not the style of professional wrestling that I wanted to be involved in. And, uh, you know, some could call it, some call it fate and, I don't really believe in that. It was just the circumstances that I found myself in. The guys involved, Jim Cornette, not a guy I see eye to eye with. Um, the product became something that I didn't necessarily care for. And, uh, you know, when the booking stopped, I didn't go, I didn't go looking. And, you know, sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I had been more aggressive and, and, and called them back. Uh, they never called me, by the way, you know, Hunter, stay away for that call, buddy. Uh, but, <laughs> 
nobody ever contacted me after my last booking and I never thought, I didn't think that I needed to contact them. So, uh, that was the end of my career. But yeah, that's a very long tirade. The cliff notes are, I don't like, I didn't like Ring of Honor's TV product. Um, and, uh, I probably still don't. I haven't really watched very much of it lately, but, uh, I, I was a big fan of pre TV Ring of Honor and that's why I always wanted to get there. I started going with Jordan when, when Jordan kind of saw the product and saw that it, I mean, it was here. How, how often were we going? Once a month? Yeah, almost every month in, uh, it's 2012, 2013. And the roster at the time, this is, yeah, yeah, five, six years back. I mean, it was, it was deep and it was stacked. And there were a lot of young guys you hadn't heard of that were, uh, I mean, just really, really talented. And, and it was, it was enjoyable to go see uh, a great show, you know, locally. It was easy. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't the big production, you know, and really it's still the production value could have been upped. And I think they're, they're getting it going finally. But, um, I, I really would wonder now if, uh, if Hunter did call or someone said, Hey, do you want to get into the wrestling thing? Would you go with the old character or would you have this new persona as the family guy? <laughs> you know, as, it's you really know, funny you mention that because I have thought about it. These are the things I think about on my own bike and I'm cycling my life away. Like what would my, my, gimmick be and it'd be pretty simple i would just be bitter jaded angry dad guy like i'd be mad all these guys doing flips i don't want to do that kind of like silas young's character but not so manly more just like get off my lawn you know i don't understand i feel like that's his character thing you know like i don't get your clothes so now i'm gonna hit you in the head like that would be my gimmick but um you know, uh, I kept waiting for that call or that email. It was weird, you know. I just I figured it would come, but like a month went by, two months went by, three months went by, and I'll never know what I did wrong because I never got the message. But I think that, you know, after a couple of years, I, I let it go, and uh, I, I have no ill will towards really anybody in the wrestling business. I um, sometimes wonder what would have happened if I stuck with it, but I probably wouldn't be in the situation I'm in now, and my life's awesome, so I'm not complaining about but you know ring of honor has always been i'm not so much now but it, it because there's too much competition but from the first show it was a breeding ground for the next generation of independent and wwe superstars i mean the guys that walked through those locker rooms and the guys that i wrestled with i mean when i tell people the people that were in that i shared locker rooms and hotel rooms and air, airplanes with they're they can't believe it you know um i remember one time coming in uh i used to you know roddy used to be my roommate one time i came in and cm punk was sleeping on our floor this is 2005 2004 yeah so i mean that's cm punk but he was an indie legend at that point but he was not cm punk you know i spent a lot of time on the road with uh seth rollins all the time with Antonio Cesaro. I'm not going to use the Ring of Honor names or the real names because that's douchey. Even though I'm, I know you guys know what they used to be called. You know, uh, Kevin Owens, another guy. I mean, just uh, El, I mean, Sami Zayn. You know all those guys. Like, uh, just it's crazy. They were all there, and now they're all on my TV. And someday, surreal as it is, my son will sit next to me and watch the guys that I used to wrestle with wrestle. And I think that everybody has their own path in life, and I think I found mine. So I'm happy with it. I, I want to create some context for our listeners. I'd say the average listener of this podcast is a musician or a creative of some type. So most don't really know much about pro wrestling. 
Uh, but the way that Eric's talking about, especially Ring of Honor when he was a part of it, but even still to some degree now, uh, it was like an underground indie label. And the wrestlers were these underground, uh, quote, underground indie bands that a lot of our listeners are fans of. Uh, and then over time, uh, labels get bigger and then sometimes get acquired by maybe a major. They still remain as a, you know, uh, maybe they act independently. The branding is still a bit independent. Um, but I think that helps create some context uh, for the listeners of what Eric's talking about. Um, yeah, I have a qu- before we get, I love that analogy. Um, and to give your listeners some more context, you know, there's always that asshole when a band gets big and gets signed to a major label and they come out with that first album, they're like, this sucks. It doesn't sound anything like the old stuff. That's me. Like, I'm like, this isn't the style of Ring of Honor that I, like, to give you guys, for those of you who are unaware, TV wrestling, wrestling on TV is much different than the wrestling you'd see if you're local independent because, yeah, you'll get times, you know, your matchups to go 10 to 12 minutes. Cool. In TV, it comes down to a matter of seconds between doing your job and getting your ass ringed out. And I didn't like that pressure. Um, as a creative person myself, wrestling is a, is a creative, I don't know. I, there's a lot of controversy. What, what label professional wrestling deserves? Is it a performance art? Is it a sport? It's neither. It's professional wrestling. It's its own category. And when you are a creative professional wrestler and you like that freedom to just go out there and, and do your, and practice your art, it's very constrictive and very confining to have everything get to do this and this and this and this amount of time. And it just doesn't feel organic after a while. And that's what you kind of, it soured me on it basically. So yeah. go ahead. then there's a ton of parallels with, with the music analogy in that, you know, once a band may get signed to a major label, there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more money and investment involved. And so the more that you give up uh, on that end, then you're giving up some creative freedom and then you might get pressure to, you know, create your music in a certain way and lead with a particular single that may get more traction on, on radio or something like that. Uh, but what seems so different now versus maybe the climate back then is I look at almost like the way that I think it was when Slayer signed to a major and Rick Rubin did the first album and they decided like, like, no, this is what you do. We're going to go as heavy as we can go and not water down your product. And so I, I feel like the, at least the independents are, uh, I mean, I mean, it, it's such a wild climate right now for, for wrestling on the indies that you could thrive. I mean, really thrive without having to upstream to a major label of sorts. Yeah, I think a lot of people now that are wrestling fans who just got into a meeting in the last five years or so don't remember the climate of independent professional wrestling 2007-ish, 2008-ish. There is either PWG or ROH. If you weren't wrestling on one of those, you were nothing. You know, sure, Jersey All-Pro was there. There was a bunch of other smaller independents. But compared to now, I mean, these guys don't understand how, how lucky they are. WrestleMania weekends, these guys are wrestling seven matches or eight matches. Not weekend, but, you know, from, like, Wednesday on um, to get eight paydays in a week. Like, I hope that the guys in the business now understand how lucky they are to, to be able to have those kind of opportunities. Because Ring of Honor used to be the only company that ran WrestleMania weekend. Now there's, like, a dozen companies in one tiny little town. It's great for the fans and it's great for the guys in the business. But back when I was in it, you either were in the one of the big two shifts. I mean, PWG back then wasn't that big. Um, 
or you were doing really nothing. So, so Eric, I'm curious, man, when you were growing up, was the vision for yourself, was the dream, uh, quote unquote, was it being a pro wrestler? I got into professional wrestling a little bit late compared to a lot of people. Um, I had some, some quick some instances where I kind of liked it when I was younger. For example, my first wrestling memory ever was seeing the Road Warriors spike Dusty Rhodes, and that was a very traumatic moment for me, but also uh, I was tantalized. You know, I, I thought it was real, like many people did. Um, and so I kind of got into that, but I can never figure out when it was on TBS. Like, I just couldn't. You know, when you're a kid, you don't, I don't know, I just couldn't figure out when to watch it, so I just, I lost touch with it. Then Hulk Hogan got big, and I got into Hulk Hogan, and it, but I just, it didn't hold my attention, because it was, I don't know, I guess it was too cartoony. So, the boom in pro wrestling happened around 96. I started watching, I would watch ECW, and I would watch WCW, and I would watch WWF Monday Night Raw. I was the kid who had... A VCR recording Nitro while I watched Raw, or vice versa. Um, once again, dating myself. VCR. I would sit till 2 a.m. to watch ECW on the Sunshine Network, which is another, they don't even have that anymore. So I was very into it. I, uh, I got onto the tape trading message board on AOL, not AOL.com, AOL Kids. It's actually, it was a program, and I would trade tapes, um, you know, Hayabusa. That was my, the Hayabusa, uh, Comp was on my first one. I got, I got um, all Japan pro wrestling compilations, and that's when I really first started falling in love with professional wrestling, like 96, 97, because I was exposed to all these different types. I, I thought for so long it was just either Nitro or Raw, Nitro or Raw, and then you know, I saw these Japanese tapes. Super J Cup 94 was a big, big tape that I got, um, and that changed, really changed my life. And, and I really, I watched these guys, and I realized that I didn't want to be like. Hulk Hogan, I wanted to be like Dean Malenko. I wanted to be the artist. Like I wanted to be the, the guy who has good matches, and that's all I ever wanted to do is have good matches. But to backtrack, about 98, I started wrestling, doing backyard wrestling, and then I went to a couple ECW shows, and before you know it, whenever, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I got it in my head, this is what I wanted to do. And anybody would ask, I would tell them. This is 1998. Um, what do you want to do when you, you get out of high school? I want to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> Obviously, the reaction was a lot because I, I didn't look like a pro wrestler or anything like a pro wrestler. I had no wrestling background. I had no pedigree. So, uh, But, you know, I just I went to school. My parents said I needed to get a degree. I did get a degree. And uh, the day I graduated from uh, – the full sale school uh, art and design or whatever it's called now. And I have a degree in digital media and I packed up all my stuff and I drove back and I had started training with Roderick Strong a couple, like a year before that, packed up all my stuff, went home and the next day I was back in, in Roderick's room and uh, I debuted in 2004. So six years after just, I started putting it in my head and then verbalizing it. I, I became a professional wrestler, but uh, and I and from 2004 until I retired in 2010, um, I ate it, I slept it, I, I, I mean I breathed it, I bled it. Uh, just I was obsessed with it. So, what did you do in the interim in the time between graduating from Full Sail, uh, becoming a wrestler, and then during the time you were actually wrestling, did you have to do other things to supplement your income and keep yourself going? 
Well, uh, I have a pretty good situation in which, like, I, I nepotism works very well in my favor. My parents have always provided for me whenever I've hit rough spots in my life and not been able to provide for myself. And in that way, I'm very gifted. I find a lot of parallels between myself and, uh, and if you guys are familiar with Kota Ibushi's backstory. Although, Kota's in much better shape, much better looking, and much more successful than me, <laughs> much more fun. Uh, he has the same kind of... Uh, background like he can do whatever he wants basically because he comes from a somewhat successful you know lineage um i got the same situation doesn't mean i haven't worked for a lot of things you know when i wrestled i was paying my own bills and when i stopped wrestling i stopped paying my own bills and now i'm paying my own bills again so i'm very lucky but at the same time um i i have a good work ethic my dad taught me at a very young age that uh how to you know how to bust your ass and, and I think that always showed in in my wrestling career. But I would uh, I was actually a personal trainer uh, starting in 2007 or 2008. I'm once again dating myself big time. I've been involved in the fitness industry for 10 years now. That's crazy to me. Uh, but that's when I, I started because I realized I kind of started to see the writing on the wall in wrestling like 2008 ish. I realized that and it wasn't like it is now. Uh, and making a living on the indies was tough. Ring of Honor was paying me, you know, three hundred dollars a weekend. It's not. I mean, per, and you <laughs> were responsible for your expenses as well. You got okay. So back then, you got France, which is awesome, and that's one of the coolest things about wrestling careers. I got to go for three years. I got flown around. I went to Germany, you know, to Canada. I wrestled all around the United States. I didn't have to pay a dime for my tra- travel and transportation. Uh, which is great. Your rental cars are covered, um, stuff like that. And food is really the only thing you have to pay for. Your hotel, okay, so your hotel is paid for, except you might be in a room with six other dudes. Mm-hmm. And if you got, if you have the, um, if you have the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Seniority, you get the bed, but you probably get the bed if another dude has seniority. Uh, a lot of times I slept on the floor and I got really good at sleeping on floors. I could fall asleep at airports. Like you can put me anywhere, I can fall asleep. Uh, my wife can attest to it. I'm still good at it. You know, oh, one, and Justin and I can relate in a lot of ways. We got used to sleeping in a van while on tour uh, mm-hmm. on the nights where it didn't really make sense to spend the money for a hotel for a few hours. Yeah. Um, but in, in a more interesting way that I think we can relate, I'm really glad that you shared about your upbringing and the support financially, at least that you had from your parents, because Justin and I can relate. And I think it's sometimes uncomfortable for people like us, especially as quote artists to admit stuff like that. And Justin and I, uh, we've always had a work ethic. Uh, our dad started with no money and, uh, he's just a solid entrepreneur. He did it himself and he was a really nice model for us to see. But we have other friends, uh, and we've gone to private school at times as well. So we had friends and, and contemporaries that were just as well off, uh, were significantly more well off. But as they uh, matured into an adult, it didn't really serve them uh, because it almost became this like comforting nest. And they never really like got off like the teeth of yeah. their parents. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's cool to hear you both acknowledge uh, what you got from your parents, but also uh, taking personal responsibility uh, to take care of yourself. I think people will sometimes use a bad upbringing or a poor upbringing as a badge of honor and will try to 
I guess, strike out at people who maybe have had a better situation than them. But I always say it like this. You can't be mad at me because my parents loved me and wanted to provide for me. Kelsey and I have conversations like this all the time. I will not be as giving as my parents were, honestly. I, they were they were awesome. Um, and I'm not. I'm probably not going to be able to, to provide the way that my parents did, so I'm not going to try to meet that standard. But my parents weren't always successful. I watched my dad come home many days, you know, back in when I was before you know, six or seven, um, he used to work in concrete. He'd pour concrete all day and the first summer he'd come home, he'd smell like ass, he'd be kicked in concrete. And I just remember seeing that and he's like sunburned. I just remember seeing that as a little kid. And that's why like, as a dad, it's super important that I lead by example because I remember seeing him come home and seeing how hard he worked and I wanted to work that hard. No matter what my financial situation was, I always try to, to work my hardest because it's more, it's not about just money. It's about legacy. And that's why I've, I've taken my social media a little more seriously in terms of the example. I, I don't want to, I want to lead by example. My legacy is important to me. What I've done in professional wrestling and what I continue to do in, in the fitness world and I guess the food world too. It's just the world in general is important to me. And, um, I want people to remember me when all is said and done, I want Cam to remember me as somebody who worked hard and, and set a good example for him and uh, just tried to help him be the best human that he could possibly be. And it's not about money. I, I know plenty of people who had great upbringings like you who probably turned into be trash humans. And it's just, I know other people who had horrible upbringings and, and rose above it and are good humans now. You know, Roger, only- Strong, Roger Strong being a prime example of that. Not, not only Kelsey too. <laughs> not only trash humans, but like unhappy and unfulfilled. Yes. But like rich as fuck. Yeah. I mean, money doesn't buy happiness, but money helps you be less stressed, which can sometimes lead to happiness. But I know some miserable people with a lot of money and uh, it, it doesn't, if your rest of your life sucks, money won't fix that. And I've been broke and I've had a lot of money and, um, Neither way, I mean, if you're a miserable person, if your life isn't full outside of your bank account, you're not going to be happy. And I'm not ever going to be rich, probably, but the way my life is now, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, it it can oftentimes soften blows that may hurt you at at different times just because you have that comfort there of, of, I can fall back on this, you know, if if I were to a hospital visit that could be detrimental, um, really costly for someone could just be no big deal for someone who, yes. who's covered and by this kind of stuff. The only time I ever stress about money is when I think about providing for my, my children. That's it. Myself, I could, I don't give a crap. I'll wear shirts from Target or Goodwill. I don't care. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like when people tell me they spend $200 on jeans, I'm like, then again, I spend $200 on sneakers sometimes. So I guess everybody has their thing. But um, I definitely don't buy as much as I used to. Becoming a dad has definitely shifted my priorities, and I've become way less concerned with what I buy for myself and how. Like, I really do spoil Cam, but uh, that's I don't know any other way to be really. Don't hit on those jeans. Sometimes <laughs> you need a nice pair of jeans. The thing. People, some people like watches. Some people like expensive jeans. Shoes. I like food. Like I spend a lot of money on food, so that's my thing. Right. Of course. Of course. What What is the uh, it, let's say when you're 89 years old and you're going to look back in hindsight, what is that legacy that you want to leave behind? 
you know what? I think about this a lot, and I'm not really sure exactly what I want my legacy to be, but I want to be known as somebody who, and I want Cam to see this, somebody that wasn't afraid to go against the grain, somebody who, who innovated and somebody who created things that, that stood the test of time that created trends. And not to toot my own horn, but I've been pretty good at that so far since professional wrestling. I mean, the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with IFYM. It's over like 10 million uses. It's, if it fits your macros, it's, it's a dieting methodology. Um, it's over, it has like 10 million hashtag uses on Instagram. I created that. I didn't make a dime off of it. I'm an idiot. But that's my creation. That's I think that would be pretty that. tough to just sort of a trademark or patent IIF way. I, I guess you, you totally could have, of course, right? And, yeah. And it, it is. There's, there's, there was some way to make money off of it, but I didn't feel like doing it. I didn't want that to be my only thing. I didn't want to be the IFYM guy because I was for a little bit and I was like, get me away from these weirdos. Um, and we can talk about me distancing myself from the fitness industry in a little bit. But And then for, moving forward a couple years ago, I was like, you know what? Instagram just created a 60 second time limit on videos why not just do 60 second food review? Nobody wants to sit. Well, some people do because the YouTube food people have millions of followers. I don't want to watch a 12 minute cheeseburger review from Burger King. I mean, how many things can I say about, uh, you know, a McDouble? Unless it's like Matt Stoney and he's going to eat, you know, like 50 of them. Yeah. Competitive eating is one thing, but these other guys do food reviews and I'm like, it's like 18 minutes for Skittles. No, I don't. I just, I'm sorry. Don't don't they all taste the same? What's that? Don't they all taste the same anyway? Yeah, you know what? I have a yellow is the orange. This is how my brain works. I've seen the other day are Fruity Pebbles, Fruit Loops, and Tricks all the same flavor but different shapes. Are I just didn't mind, didn't I? Because I was thinking about the other day. I'm like, right? Is that the same flavor? You mean it different colors? Flavor? What? Different colors, you mean? It doesn't know. No, they're taste, the same flavor. Taste them, taste them side by side. I'm telling you, like, I didn't think about it because you don't get as many pieces in your mouth at the same time with the food pebbles. And I'm like, these are way closer than I ever thought of. So I need to do some more research on that. Maybe but, look at the ingredients. If they're exactly the same, then you know. Well, yeah, it's all a bunch of, it's a bunch of food dyes and, and right? delicious uh, artificial or ingredients of, you know, that's what I like. I don't even know what I was talking about before I started thinking about that. But I do want to say, I like the idea that, you know, what you say, you want to do more research into that and you've created like, a valid way to actually do that and like create content around it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I'm not trying to, when I think of stuff like that, I, I don't want to change the world in, and we're talking about legacy here. I don't want to change the world and just, like, I'm not Gandhi. Okay. My main goal is to help people repair their dysfunctional relationships with food, to understand you can balance things and, and eat things you like and exercise and, and not be, uh, you know, really obese and overweight and out of shape. I want it's it's easily doable. It's it's not it's it takes a little bit of attention to detail, but it's not that hard. But beyond that, like I want to make people laugh and make people happy and in, in involving Cam in my in my um, videos has really helped with that and Kelsey too and, and to get, to give people because a lot of people don't have great family situations. A lot of people um, just going through tough times in their life and to see somebody who has fun um, it's not like puppies and rainbows but you know you know has fun with his son and we eat food and we, we try to make people laugh like that makes me feel good and if, if that's my that's the end of my legacy if i just made a bunch of people laugh i'd be fine with that i think that's great um i want to go back to if it fits your macros okay uh so 
of all the f- current f- fad diets, whatever you want to call these things from, from the latest and greatest of the carnivore diet or everybody blowing like everything they've got into ketogenic diets. And isn't it funny how cyclical things are like keto comes and it goes every 10 years. I don't think I remember the keto boom of 10 years ago. I feel like, like being uh, in my early twenties and and not, I guess because it's it's the prevalence of having social platforms. And now you have people that have a really big following hundreds of thousands, millions of people who then say, Oh, I did this one exclusionary diet and it's working for me. Therefore, the causal relationship is going to work for every single person yes. in the world to get the exact same results that I'm getting, even though my disposition is that I'm working out 50 hours a week and, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting in the paid. sauna. I'm getting paid to do this. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm coming up with these, the, you know, uh, pills you can take and you can get into this state in under an hour and all these things without having to put the work into it. So, like, when I think because we're in Baltimore, and I am in, in the dietetic world, I think of like, you know, hey, ketosis is, is, a, is a great thing for patients with epilepsy, for kids with epilepsy, to get them to not have epileptic seizures. And that's something that they do at Johns Hopkins here, right? And that's, I think, where it comes from. But now it's this, this other, uh, it's become so boomy in the, in the fitness world that, that then the supplement industry runs wild with it and people just start saying, espousing, oh, this will change your life. But what's interesting to me about if it fits your macros is that a lot of people, when, when it came on my radar, maybe five, six, seven years ago, um, it seemed like a lot of people were using it as an excuse that they could kind of just do whatever the fuck they wanted yeah. uh, without really thinking it was like sugar. Oh, cool. No, sh- sugar is not one of the three big macros. You, you can do it. You can fuck off on sugar. You can eat as much as you want, you know? And so there's still, I, I feel like maybe, you can tell us what was the original idea of IIFYM and uh, how did it start to get lost in translation from all these other people using it? It's funny you touched on that, which is exactly why I distanced myself from it was, you know, there's a lot of good ideas out there, but you take any good idea and you, and you push it to the extreme levels, the extreme limits, and it goes bad. You know what I mean? Religion. Sure, it's cool, and then, you know, it takes a turn for the worse. There's been plenty of examples of, of ideas out there that just get pushed too hard, and they and they turn into something that they weren't originally supposed to be. IFLM is like that. I was on the bodybuilding.com message boards. This is 2008 or nine, something like that. And uh, people kept asking the most asinine questions. Can I eat peanut butter if I'm cutting? Can I eat bread if I'm bulking and basically I just got sick of answering these questions because you know we all try to help each other out and basically to simplify things if it fits your macros eat that shit you know if you got 300 grams of carbs and you have 25 grams of carbs left and you want to eat I don't don't even know uh, three tablespoons of Cheerios I don't care you can do that that was that was the thing and for the same reason it became popular was the same reason it became attacked. It was an over, it was a simplification of a complex system. That's what I want people to understand is that you're overthinking things. You can eat peanut butter, you can eat ice cream, you can eat broccoli, you can eat, you know, cheeseburgers. It doesn't matter as long as it's balanced, as long as it's not, you know, to an extreme level, like we touched on these dum dums eating friggin'. Uh, cereal for 100% of their carbohydrate every single day, day after day, you know, it was, it was a good approach. And at first 
I, I like to, to see people like, oh man, it changed my life. I can eat pretty much whatever I want. It feels so much better now. And I just saw people, like you said, twisting it and turning it into something that was just way too extreme and just not something that I'm like, do you guys eat vegetables? No vegetables. They're so good for you. You should probably still eat them. You know, fiber is so important. Maybe like getting some of your carbs not from sugar might be important. Um, you know, set you like 95% of your dietary fat intake is saturated. Probably not the best idea either. So I just got tired of answering those questions and I was like, I'm out. Um, and you know, that was where I just decided to distance myself from IFYM. And that was, you know, one of the first moments where I kind of got disgusted with the whole fitness industry and that, and that, and the social media behind it. And that would not be the last time that happened. That's for sure. So a few questions about that. Um, and going back, one, were there programs available when you first came out with IFYM, like my fitness pal, uh, I think was it not precision? I think the only one available was my fitness pal at the time. I think that was it. Okay. So people had a way they could actually figure out how to do this without having to do too much legwork. Because if you if you tell someone like they've got to do all this extra stuff, they're probably just uh, not gonna do it. Oh uh, Calorie King, yeah, that was one. That's had, a blast in the past. You had that one in the that app was trash. Calorie King? Yeah, my net diary is the one I still use, but I don't track my macros. I just put my weights into it so I can track right. my body But yeah, there's there's a couple apps that are archaic compared to the things available today, but it was like they were basically complicated. They were they were a little bit more they were Excel spreadsheets in the right. that's program was, you know. Um and uh you would put the numbers in, it would calculate things for you. But people were counting macros before that. But it was more about the context of what food was appropriate at what time. You know, it was all that BS about the anabolic windows. And people still, I mean, I get a headache, dude. Why are people still eating six meals a day? Why are people still having cheat meals? Why are people still afraid of sodium? I just, I feel like we should have progressed faster. Like we should be past that. But I'm um, still hung up on the same stuff. And it's because of the fitness celebs you touched on, pitching their supplements, pitching their workouts. Because if you don't do that stuff, you know, you're not going not gonna to sell the product. So One of the doctors in this world was saying something to the tune. I was trying to think about what the actual quote was, but uh, to kind of just take his idea and just spin it into something else. He's like, you wouldn't ask your neighbor for flying lessons <laughs> who is like a, you know, who's like a, who's like a fisherman or something who does, has nothing to do with like aeronautics or something, you know? And so then you just take someone who decided like, Oh, I'm just going to fuck off and eat eggs all day long. And it's like, Oh shit, this worked for me. And then they start saying, yo, there's this thing. It's called the egg diet. You just eat a bunch <laughs> of fucking eggs. And then it's yeah. like, well, because I got results and they show a picture of them and how they went from, you know, A to Z, you know, now they look amazing. It's like, well, of course this is going to work for everyone. Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate. We can't just stick to people who get it. Um, yeah. And look, there are great resources out there. We can't discredit the people that are out there that are, that are, progressing and, and doing great science. And I think of a guy like Ben Greenfield, if you know Ben Greenfield, Sounds familiar. He's, I mean, he's like, uh, he studied exercise physiology. I think he has degrees in biochemistry, like a, like a, a genius dude who, who graduated college at like 20. And instead of going to medical school, he decided to do training and all these other things. And he can tell you the biochemistry behind these windows and what they actually mean. But most people have no idea. And so to simplify it down to something, distill it down to like, you know, I think of, I think of it fits your macros is like Weight Watchers, which kind of seems to work for everyone because it's not exclusionary. Yeah. Which was really my, the whole point. And that's, you know, move right even to this day, my goal as a, as a coach is to avoid exclusionary diets because exclusionary diets are not sustainable. 
for the rest of your life. Approaches. I messed around for almost 15 years trying every diet, but none of them were sustainable. I find I, what I do now does not have a name. I don't like names. I learned my lesson from IFYM, no acronyms, but it's all about finding an approach that fits you. Now, everybody's different. You know, it might work for some people for forever, I, but it won't work for me, for my lifestyle, for the things I enjoy, the things I like to do, and that's what you have to figure out. What is the most sustainable approach for you, um, for your training and, and, and your diet? If what you're doing right now, you can't do for the rest of your life, newsflash, come on, dude. Like, if you're prepping for a blood of show, that's one thing. Like, you're not going to try to prep for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, so, no, you got to cycle it. So yeah, like when I, I was sense. I was training for um, a century. I was cycling. And I was uh, one. I was progressively adding more road miles each week. At my peak, I did 175 miles on the road. Think you can do that every week? I mean, I probably could, but I don't want to. Like I don't want to be out of the house that much and be away from. I don't have to wake up at 3 a.m. four times a, four times a week. That's not fun. So. But what if you do it in the basement? Is that where you I normally do it or somewhere yeah, where you can I, watch, you know, New Japan? I've been on a trainer in my garage because I'm a bitch and I don't want to be out in the cold. And, <laughs> and you yeah, watch wrestling. Laugh. Hey, don't laugh. All right. For Florida, <laughs> like it's been pretty cold. But um, with cycling, you have to understand that however cold it is, you have to track about 20 degrees because you're getting blasted. If I'm going about, you know, between 15 and 20 miles an hour, that wind chill is nothing nice. Like I've had my beard freeze like it's not so it's like that scene in dumb and dumber on the feels. so i've been i i'm taking off until about i think next week i'll probably get back on the road but uh, the trainer's cool because i can listen to howard soon or i can watch wrestling which is a lot of a lot of i i watch wrestling before when i row or when i bike um so that's cool but that, i mean 175 miles a week. Some people can do that, but I like to lift weights too. And uh, that's another you know, thing. Like, you can't do small lobs. Remember the small lobs? It's like squat four times a week at like 80% or more. It will destroy you if you continue to do it. If you train, I've had clients tell me like, oh, I lift weights six times a week. Like, why? Why? Like, oh, one day I do biceps, one day I do triceps. I'm like, listen. That's not you. When you have a family, you can't go to the gym six days a week to do one body part. That's not a constructive use of your time. So it's all about sustainability for me, both in diet and the training and things. And I, I got more to the general fitness side lately. It's been very eye opening to see the struggles people have gone through. I've been kind of detached from that since I left the big box gyms and shifted more towards powerlifting. But there's still some crazy stuff going on, and uh, I'm just going to do my part to try to try to help people out. I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist, but I, I can, I'm more of like a lifestyle strategist, if that's a thing. Um, but that's what it I'm trying be. to work You made it a thing. Yeah, it's yours. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should. You I'm go gonna, patent that right now. <laughs> I, would, I would file a, a trademark for that, but it would probably be denied like all of my trademarks. So Jordan, uh, Jordan was thinking about it as you were saying it. Yeah, I'm already Googling and like over here on the laptop. <laughs> it's already done, man. You're yeah. fucked. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like to call myself. I'm a coach. You know, that's my first title, but sometimes it doesn't really explain exactly what I do. So Right. So, Eric, I'm curious, and I want to kind of fill in some gaps to the story. So, at this point, uh, you know, our listeners are kind of getting a clearer picture of what you're doing now um, as a coach within the kind of the fields of uh, both food and nutrition, but also physical fitness and uh, ambulance coming to get that idea from all of us right now. <laughs> um, but you're also creating some online content as well. I want to kind of take it back because you said you really 
uh, got captured, uh, you know, in, in wrestling in the mid to late nineties and you did it all the way up until uh, about 2008. I think you said 2010 was my last year in professional wrestling. Okay. So well over a decade, uh, it seemed like to be a significant part of your life. Uh, and then at some point it wasn't there. I don't know. It didn't seem like maybe you were quite ready to give it up because it seemed like you were just maybe waiting, uh, for the opportunity. But what I'm curious is that, uh, one, how did you cope with the loss of that, with the loss of maybe identifying as a, a wrestler, as a profession? And then what was step one for you in moving forward? Well, first off, to answer number one, I didn't cope very well. I think that profession, the loss of professional wrestling to me was one of the most um, debilitating setbacks in my life. Because you have to understand something, my whole circle of friends, my, you know, my identity for from 2004-2010 was professional wrestling. I didn't have any friends outside of professional wrestling. So imagine if all of your friends, anybody listening to this right now, you have a huge circle of friends, you have a small circle of friends, whatever that may be, the people you look forward to hanging out with and spending time with, just like that, switch flips off and you never see them. I mean, never. Not because I was being flown in from Sarasota, or I'd go to Tampa and then fly in. You know, nobody lived here. Nobody lived in Sarasota. That was it. That was it. So it was very hard for me. And one of the reasons I quit professional wrestling was because it wasn't good for my mind state. For those, for those of you guys listening um, who are not familiar with my backstory, I have a history of depression, and I had a long battle with binge eating disorder. And both of these things got once got to their peak around the time I, I uh, left professional wrestling. And it wasn't, it got worse after I left, but the, one of the reasons I quit professional wrestling was because my mental state was deteriorating over the last year. It was a combination of things. Uh, my job was putting, my, my personal training job was putting a lot of stress on me physically and mentally. Um, my relationships were, were falling apart because of my depression and because of my direction in Ring of Honor, something that I poured my, my heart into and I, I loved more than anything, it really, it did, it broke me. And to see like the guy, like I wanted to be in a certain position in that company and to see the company kind of throw me to the side um, and not have anything for me, which is the worst thing, you know, you know, you, they, they weren't like, we don't have anything for you, but the matches, you're getting put in squash matches week after week, and then you do get put in a match, it's a six-minute match, it's nothing great. You know when they had plans for you, and they didn't have plans for me. And so, um, you know, I just, I decided, <laughs> oddly enough, I thought it'd be a good idea to prep for a bodybuilding show. Um, because I'd always done a chubby kid, and uh, I thought maybe I got really shredded, really lean, I feel that confidence that I've always searched for. Plus, I, I, I'm a very driven person. I need a goal. And Ring of Honor, nothing, there was nothing for me to work towards. You know, so I just, and I probably lost my job because of that, because I got hired. I was like a, like a powerhouse guy, and I was, for an indie guy at the time, 6'270, 6'250, I, I waited. I got down to 220 at some point. I was like, Oprah, dude, it was bad. Um, but, I was a big dude. Now there's like the Keith Lee's of the world and, um, you know, punishment, um, Martinez, all these, they're huge. But back then I was like a bigger guy. So, um, I got really lean and I looked like a lollipop and, uh, or like an anorexic Ben Stiller, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, probably lost my job because of that, but I didn't care. 
I just need something to focus my energy on. But after progressing that switch gets shut off, after the bodybuilding shows, I had no goal. And so, um, I did not cope well whatsoever. I, um, I fell back into a deeper hole of binging disorder. I fell, you know, um, because I, I'd gotten pretty bad right before I prepped for the bodybuilding shows. You even see in the HDNet shows, like when I debuted on HDNet 2009-ish, I'm in pretty good shape, but you can see, like, when I do my heel turn, I join the embassy. I'm probably speaking Latin to a lot of you guys. If you guys are familiar with the product, you'll see my body deteriorate. It's actually very embarrassing for me still to look back on those shows to see what my body looked like. Um, but it was out of my control. You know, it was... I was in a dark spot, and uh, after the bodybuilding shows, my binge eating disorder spun out of control. I got worse and worse, and my depression got bad. Thank goodness for therapy, man. Therapy is a big time lifesaver for me, and I don't use the term lifesaver lightly. It really was, and I really, whenever somebody messages me and asks me about binge eating disorder, my first and only word of advice is to go see a therapist because that's not my wheelhouse. I'm not one of these fitness guys who thinks I'm a, a you know, and rocket scientist because I did a few bicep curls. Like just because I got fixed and I overcame something does not mean I'm qualified to help you fix it. I can point you in the right direction. I can kind of coach you, um, help you with the other stuff that isn't mental and emotional, but, um, I definitely recommend therapy and that helped me out a lot. And so I was digging myself out of my hole when I met Kelsey, which was uh, a pretty cool transition in my life. I, I wasn't, I didn't. I wasn't completely healed by the time I started dating her. I was still dealing with binging disorder the first year we were together, but um, that was kind of like the beginning of the turnaround in my life and having like a different direction. Uh, I guess I, it wasn't all because of her, but it was mostly because of her. I don't want to get. It's still got an ego if I say it. She's right. She's right next to me. So. Uh, in, in regards to the therapy itself, so for me in uh, in high school, I guess post middle school when you know, with all the new hormones and all these things going on was when my weight really started to go up. And at the time, I think if I remember, I was in eighth grade, I was maybe four eleven, five foot and I was wrestling like 165. <laughs> you know, the dudes are six feet tall and, and I'm shooting for legs and their legs are like, you know, just somewhere not to be found, all this stuff. And coming into high school, Jordan and I started playing in bands together and I wanted to present a certain way. I wanted to look like Iggy Pop, you know, like I was on drugs without taking the drugs. <laughs> I was never going to be long and lean. I'm five foot three, you know, so I, I knew I was never going to be the, the aesthetic of the rock star that I really wanted to, to be essentially. And so, uh, I kind of just looked at whatever my mom was doing. So I lived through the Atkins diet and low carb, high carb, I did the diet as well. right? All these different things. And, and I just, I just tried to do shit. So a lot of what I did was, was just you know, looking back in hindsight, it was just, it was just a lot of stuff that I saw that I wouldn't do now. Of course, I just didn't understand it, but I was doing whatever I had to do to, to get to a certain way because I wanted to present a certain way. And, um, I did have, have teachers who said like, Hey, are things okay? Because I probably lost 30, 35 pounds. Um, but I never really got to deal with a lot of that stuff. I remember going to, I might've been 18 or 19 and going to therapy for the third, for the first time. And I would tell the, I would tell a therapist who didn't understand where I was coming from because he never dealt with this stuff. I would say like, Hey, you know, my legs are really big, like Rhino. Uh, when, when I sit on a toilet, I'm like, you know, they spread out. I'm like, I hate them. They're so big. My mom would say things like, you know, so just go get surgery, you know, the quick fix. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like 19. 
Right. Like, like, you know, maybe there are other ways. Maybe I can, I need help with this, but the first person I ever went to therapy wise couldn't help me. And I don't think I've ever shared this. Um, but then even, even because I never got to fully deal with my problems in my early to mid twenties, maybe 23, 24, I went to someone else who Jordan recommended who he was friends with. And Jordan is a psychotherapist. He recommended someone. And again, I was, uh, he didn't understand me. He didn't understand why I was so fixated on wanting to eat a blueberry muffin or something or, or wanting to binge, which was a big thing for me. I, I would diet heavily before shows and then binge after, sure. you know, or we would have a show and I would say, well, I'm not, I'm going to fast all day, not for the health benefits, but because I thought I would, I would look better. I wouldn't look distended, all these bloated, all these other things. But going to someone else again, they didn't understand because they had never experienced any of this. They, they pull out the book and they say, I don't know, there's only three eating disorders, which one, maybe binge eating was what I dealt with, but I dealt with other things that weren't diagnosed yet or weren't even understood yet. Um, and he would send me to a dietitian who again, didn't understand. Did you ever feel like the people that you went to just didn't understand you? And did it take more than going to the first person you showed up to for therapy to, to finally find the right person? I'm glad you brought that up because I find myself having this conversation a lot with people, you know, they'll come to me, they'll say, hey, how do you binge eating disorder? I'm like, you know, I got a really good therapist. And all I tried therapy, I didn't really find that it helped me that much. I mean, how many therapists did you see? It's all one that I quit. It doesn't work like that. Therapy is a lot like a relationship. Sometimes you get lucky. You find the one, like I did. I found, I tried one guy. He was the man. He did, did, and I realized he was great because I moved back to Sarasota. He was in Tampa. I couldn't really make the trip. So I was like, yeah, I'm feeling kind of down. Let me see. I'll talk to somebody else here. I went to one therapy session down here with somebody else. I'm like, this sucks. Like, this is not a good fit. Maybe she wasn't, maybe she didn't suck, but she wasn't good for me. And it's just like, it's just like relationship. You have one therapist, it doesn't work for you. Okay, go to another one. They don't work for you? Okay, keep going. You owe it to yourself to continue trying, continue searching, get referred, do your research, find somebody that eventually will fit you. And the guy that I went to, his name is Michael Trust, he's still, he knows, this is a really cool story, he still practices in Tampa. I had somebody message me, they're like, hey, um, I've been in Tampa, who did you, you know, who who your therapist? And I said, Dr. Michael Trust, you need to go see him. And so, I, you know, people just say, stuff like that all the time. Nothing ever comes of it. Like four months later, messages and issues. I cannot thank you enough. Seeing Dr. Trusty once or twice a week and doing so much better. Like, wow, that is amazing because that I paid it forward a little bit. Um, and I'm just glad to see Michael Trusty and Michael still working because he helped me so much. And, and a good therapist, you guys, especially when it comes to eating disorders, really the crux of, of my issues is body dysmorphia and self-esteem issues and the relationship with myself, like they're going to make you ask really tough questions. And some people aren't, aren't good at therapy. They don't want to confront, you know what I'm saying? They don't want to confront the inadequacies about themselves, their character flaws, the things that are holding them back. And they never get, you have to be ready and willing to accept these things and to talk about them in a constructive manner to get what you need out of therapy. And I had to confront a lot of tough questions. I still remember sitting on the couch and, he said, what would happen to you? What would your life be if you got in a car wreck and you couldn't use your lights? And Eric, the professional wrestler, the bodybuilder, the athlete was gone. What would you get? Like, what would make you happy? 
And at the time, I had literally nothing that would have given me any sort of reward, any sort of satisfaction. But if that, God forbid, happened to me now, I would still be okay because my life is full outside of my athletic accomplishments and my abilities. There's so many more things that, that bring me happiness that, that I could do. I'd be honestly, if I was if I got if I was out cycling, I got hit by a car and I was lying inside the room, I couldn't feel my legs. The only thing I'd care about was playing with Cam. That's it. Like I wouldn't care that I couldn't cycle ever again, or that I my legs are gonna get skinny or I'm gonna get fat because I can't exercise. No, none of that matters. Like my whole training philosophy now is based on my abilities as a dad. So like that's I train to be a good dad. If I can't be a good dad, then all the squats in the world, all the cycling in the world, my body fat percentage, all that shit matters. I'm really glad you brought um, a lot of that up, Eric, and, and thanks for doing it. A, a couple of the points that I wanted to kind of hit on was uh, I like the idea you're talking about that, like, if you're going to go to therapy, you have to be ready to do work, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people are going to therapists looking for the answer, looking for them to do the work. They want to put the responsibility on anyone but themselves because to actually do the work is fucking hard. Yeah. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, the, the analogy I'll use is like you're hungover, right? And, and in order to feel better, you got to throw up, you got to get it out. And the only way to really do that is by turning your attention inward and going to the places that often our defense mechanisms will like work really hard to avoid because to go there it's painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in that sense, it's like the only way out is through. And it takes uh, a therapist that you have a certain level of trust and they have a certain level of, uh, I guess, ability to not only form relationship with you, but to help you navigate that process where you trust them. Uh, you know, they, in, a, in, in a way, they, they create a container or a safe place. They hold this space. Uh, for for a client or a patient to feel safe enough to go within themselves to to where there is pain and then maybe that can create some awareness or consciousness uh, and and you can see these things uh, either a bit more clearly or by actually feeling it and expressing it you can be free of it. Um, there's all kinds of different modalities of therapy. Uh, you know, there's some where you really focus on your past and and your upbringing. There's some where you only focus on the future and the present moment. But research suggests that uh, they're all pretty much equally effective. The thing that really matters is the quality of the relationship that you form with the therapist. Mm -hmm. I really wonder, and and maybe either of you can speak to this, because you saw someone who was great. And I don't know if they had a background that had eating disorder for, I mean, I present, they they did. That was a specialty. He was right. a therapist specializing in eating disorders. Yeah. Which is so important because, I mean, I mean, I look back on, on myself. Of course, with body dysmorphia, uh, no matter how thin I got, it didn't matter. No matter how muscular I got, none of that mattered. I still just didn't give a shit. If you said I looked great, I still felt like an idiot, right? It wasn't uh, about it, but it wasn't about your body, though. Exactly, right? Um, of course, it just took way too many years, you know, or, or look, we're glad we finally figured out because a lot of people just keep going a decade later. For me, I mean, it took well over a decade, of course. Yeah. Um, orthorexia, which wasn't even a thing then, you know, uh, which most people are still probably unaware of. Explain that. Orthorexia, I think, is, is more of like, I, I always say clean. I don't like calling foods clean and dirty, but it's like it's like a fear of not eating clean. I'm yeah, like, it's not an obsession healthy, with just health food. To, to, like, yeah, clean eating is basically the best way to start. It's not only that, but 
you know, not fear of missing workouts, fear of not doing exactly 60 minutes of cardio. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's been extremely really, rigid with this very uh, like health oriented, which would be, I mean, kind of like a 360 of, of the food and, and the workouts you're doing, your sleep, all your habits that are leading towards this one goal. And all it, all it creates is, is rigidity, which we know doesn't serve us because then when we, when we miss that, it's like we've let ourselves down and then yeah. the self-love goes out the window and we'll cycle. probably want to revert to bad habits like binge eating. Cycle begins, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a very vicious cycle and, and the, the feedback loop doesn't help. Yeah. And every, every eating disorder is, is a vicious cycle. Anorexia, bulimia, uh, eating disorder, orthorexia, it's all that, you know, that restrict. And then something bad happens and you feel bad about yourself and you feel bad about yourself. So you punish yourself and then you try to be better. It's just, it's all, but it's not about our bodies. No, so. Right. My question was going to be, uh, should a good therapist in the general sense should they be able to help you through any problem? So you were fortunate that you went to someone specific who understood where you were coming from. The people I went to, one, had no idea, probably, uh, it, it was probably extremely rare, and it's still rare, that a male was presenting with these issues. Right. Um, and, and not that they lacked empathy, compassion, and courage to try to understand I just don't think they could really fathom what I was dealing with. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why I've tried to be as transparent as possible on social media and talk about binging disorder and my body dysmorphia. It's, I don't like the term toxic masculinity, but if there is any real example of that, it's in the fitness industry. Showing any sign of weakness as a like as a female, you show this vulnerability and this weakness like, oh, you're so gold, you're so inspiring. And then if you're a guy and you do it, you're like, oh, you're a pussy. Like what? No, what dude, your goal standard is that. So I want the reason I started talking about it is because I knew, I know that a lot of guys deal with the same stuff that women deal with, stuff that I dealt with. You know, the the body dysmorphia, self-esteem, all that stuff. We we attach our self-worth to our physiques and it eventually drives us insane. Um, And well, not insane, but pretty close, you know, and, uh, and I needed to talk about it because so many guys are scared because they don't want to be judged or called names or ridiculed. And that's a shame. It shouldn't be like that. You should be, you know, able to be, transparent and, and have that vulnerability and, and to express the things that you struggle with. Cause I know it happens a lot. I know guys are in really great shape that, you know, they're, they're going through some stuff and they're not because one of the, one of the things I hate the most about social media is that you, that people aren't themselves because they want a bigger following for better or for worse. What you see with me is the real me. And that's why I don't have over a hundred thousand followers. So I talk shit. I go against the grain sometimes. Sometimes a little bit too hard. You know, I'm very opinionated. Um, but these guys are so scared of being real because nobody wants to, a lot of, a lot of people when they go on social media, they want the abs, they want the Ferrari, they want the nice house, the, the cute girlfriend, all that stuff. They don't want to hear about your problems because they have problems of their own. And that's, it's a shame because I think, it, I just, I think the world needs more genuine people with genuine struggles. Not, um, oh, my, I had to eat tilapia three times a day. It was real tough. You know, I had to do extra cardio. I'm like, that's not a fucking struggle, dude. You're not struggling. That's a diet. To be, so. to be completely fair, like, look, if you look at your Instagram, you have a very healthy following. You have a lot of people, tens of thousands of people. And really, wouldn't you rather have 
say 50,000 of your followers, you know, and lose 30, 40, 50,000 of, of the people that are following you, if they were all just quality, genuine people that really gave a shit about your message that would just follow you and back you and you wouldn't have to tell them that you're going to come fight them in real life if they don't agree with you. You, you bring up a fascinating point because my social media following has stagnated um, and kind of hung around 85K, which is still a respectable number for the type of account that I, that I run for about six months and I noticed this trend at first I was like you know maybe it's the Instagram algorithm I tried a few different things and the more time went by the more I realized that I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay and if I struggle with it for a while and I realized that if I'm pleasing everybody I'm doing something wrong I don't want to be everybody's friend I don't want everybody to agree with me I want to have a very defined character, very defined message. Um, I want people, you know, all the things that are pop, like the, the, I guess the catchphrases I have and the lexicon of, of, you know, my Instagram, like team run and stand up people. Like, it's so funny. I don't, I've never talked to people in my life. Um, Krispy Kreme announced the lemon donut. I had like 19 people tag me. Like, I don't even know these people. They're like, dude, let me say it up. They're so excited. About I had explained that before we started as Jordan was making, what did you make? Lemon water? Lemon water. <laughs> lemon water. And I'm explaining what that means to him. I was like, oh, he likes, he likes lemon a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, it's like an old hip hop thing. It was like, BK stand up. And one day I was like, I got so mad because I like lemons. I began, I didn't always like lemon stuff. I started, I just got, I started loving like lemon cream flavored things. when I was like, like two years ago, like three years ago. It's the sophisticated palate you now have because like when yeah. you add that little bit of acid, it like, that's like the secrets of the chef. I eat everything though. There's really nothing that I, um, <laughs> just tell people you have a very sophisticated palate. That's why like yeah. fuck the chocolate. I go for the lemon. Sophisticated. I wouldn't use that. Necessarily. <laughs> just say it, man. Just, just own it. Not picky at all I'm like a garbage disposal so like i'll just eat anything but the people go oh i can't believe you gave this a five out of ten i thought it was horrible i go listen dude i have eaten pizza out of a trash can before it's not outside of ice cream and burgers i'm not i don't have very high standards but um you know all those things that i've that i love these little inside jokes that you have and i i haven't i really thought i'd be at 100k by now plus Last year, I went. I had a very quick rise to, you know, 50k plus, and it was it was a pretty cool thing to see. And other accounts that started after me or at the same time have surpassed me that kind of provide the same content. So I decided. Not really. Though. Wait, Kelsey, I'm getting there. <laughs> I decided to differentiate myself and and become the family food dude because I didn't want to be a generic food account. There's so much more going. Obviously, this conversation you guys see has a lot of history. I have a lot of layers, like an onion. Uh, there's a lot of things um, that I'm interested in besides just food that I wanted to share, and I think that turned a lot of people off too. Some people just want food. They don't want pictures of babies. They don't want babies in the video. They don't want my toddler in the video. They don't want to see my wife or my dogs or or whatever else I decided to talk about. And that's fine. Halo top. It used to bother me. It used to bother me, but um, I think that 80, 85K is the sweet spot. And if I can ride with those people into the future, I'm totally okay with that. It may not get me the opportunities that other accounts will be afforded, but maybe I don't want those. Um, if it means, to me, if it means selling out, if it means putting hashtag ad or you know saying that Enlightened or Halo Top tastes good, it's not worth it to me. I would much rather do it on my own terms than and sell my soul for a little bit of fame. I think there's uh, a lot of important points in that. Uh, I like that you're, you're talking about 
uh, you do have a, a real interest in your numbers of, of followers on social media. Uh, but it seems like you're strategic about it. And obviously you want the numbers to grow. So you're kind of testing and trying different things, tweaking maybe the process and, and seeing what could get you better results. But what's important is that it doesn't seem like the, the number of followers you get is equated in any way to your sense of self-esteem or self-love. And it, that shows because you're not using cheap tactics uh, in order to get that result of just a statistic. Oftentimes, if you use those uh, cheap tactics, you're going to lose those followers as quickly as you get them. Um, but to your point as well, uh, it's quality over quantity. You're uh, creating an emotional relationship uh, with, I'm sure, a lot of these followers. You're creating culture and community with these followers. And, and I, I would take 10,000 uh, just uh, dedicated dedicated and, and, and passionate followers over a hundred thousand whatever's yeah. any day. Um, Do you want to know the only the only reason I care about the number of followers I have is visibility. Because mm-hmm. visibility in the food game gets you opportunities. Like mm-hmm. companies will send you stuff, and I I'm very competitive. So when I and I'm not going to lie to you guys. When I see other accounts get food stuff sent to them, I'll take uh, just for an example. Uh, Nestle sent these other food accounts the Butterfinger Dark. Uh, it's, dark, it's a dark chocolate butterfinger. It's the newest flavor. I was hot about. It. I was like, man, what? Put some respect in my name, dude. What? I was the first. I was one of the first. Why you guys not sending them to me? Like, um, or ice cream companies do that. Man, Hagendaz on my shit list. Hagendaz, Hagendaz. They sent uh, another account who doesn't really like ice cream as much as me. I love ice cream. Um, the whole new catalog, and that that made me mad. That's the only reason I care. If if I was promised the same opportunities, if Ben and Jerry's are still going to have a relationship with me like they do, Ben and Jerry's is awesome, by the way. Um, if all that stuff is guaranteed, give me 500 followers, give me 300, because my engagement is still going to be just the way. Did you guys see sometimes when I post these videos of Cam and I doing a review? I'll get 200 comments. None of those other accounts will get 200 comments. You know, like, oh, the Google's new flavor cookie, cool, 12 comments. Like, it's just, and it's not rewarding to me. Like I told you before about the legacy, I want to make people laugh. If I get a post and I see all these people hitting me with the emojis or laughing emojis or talking about how cute and funny cameras or how they, they cried laughing, that's what I care about. Like I care about that. That's what gives me satisfaction. The reward to me is the engagement and, and to see people like something or if something resonates with them. They're like, oh my God, I love seeing you can makes me feel so good. I want to be a dad one day like you. That shit makes me feel way better than 500,000 followers to be. You know, I don't want any sponsorships. I don't want any of that. Um, free food's nice, but uh, the real reward, like I said, is, is making people laugh and getting enjoyment out of that. I look at this like, uh, you know, you came to, you You were maybe just, again, a little bit before your time, and you're not conforming. So, like, if, if you're the, like, Rock Kim, and everybody else is, like, the, like, like Lil, what are all these, like, Lils now? Like, Lil... Lil Uzi Vert, Lil, yeah. Lil Yachty, Lil who's the dude who just got Lil Zan. Rap is trash. Like you know, like I mean, you know, your problem is probably you don't have ice cream right here. You know, that's your that's, problem. Richie has that tattoo. I know, right? Like here, fa- family, family food, dude. Right? I mean, that's the problem. But like, 
I think there are there are so many people nowadays on social platforms that have no idea about the lineage of where a lot of this stuff comes from. So if you're the OG and you do love your hip hop, I think you just own it as like, dude, I was just I'm the pioneer. I came first. So like, yeah, of course, I'm not gonna have millions of followers. And like these yeah. other people are but fuck it. I have more dedicated followers. I have I better uh, rapport with my people. I'm honest. I'm real. I'm super fucking legit. And you'll have longevity if you want it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And the most important thing is the people who are OG fans, people who started listening to hip hop in the Stone Ages, they know who started the thing. They know who the first guy to do an Instagram video review was. No matter how many people come out that are better than me, quote unquote, or how many people start posting junk food pictures, there's it's crazy. Like you made that hip hop analogy. It's so true because two years ago it was me, this guy drunk banter and maybe one or two other accounts that were dedicated. Like there was one, the one account called the impulsive by and one called on second soup, but they ran blogs. And to me, blogs were fading in my opinion, like text, just like, you know, print. It's like, okay, but video is the real, that's what people want. They want to watch stuff. They don't want to read stuff. Obviously there's still a market for the reading part of it, but I was like, I want to provide content in a different format. So I used the impulsive buy and uh, oh, junk food guy, another another pioneer. So like, if I'm a king, like these dudes were like, uh, uh, what was the group? Um, what era? Uh, the, the first. Uh, wow, well, they were like Sugar Hill Gang, right? Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a little so more they were funny. Like before the the, the 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 OG, just slightly before they were like the very first. The stuff they did was was very archaic and, and dated, but you know they without them they wouldn't be me. And I think that's the important part that every generation of hip hop kind of looks back on the previous one. They're like, I didn't listen to this guy, and I wouldn't have this. And I had people tell, and this is so weird. But I started my account because of you, but I had people tell me you got a wrestling because of me. That shit blew my mind too because I didn't think I was that good. But whatever, I'll take it. <laughs> if I can get one person in that crazy business, I was happy with it. So, Eric, I want to ask you, man, since a lot of people that are listening to this are creatives of, of some kind, uh, and, and a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out how they can, you know, monetize their creativity or their talents uh, to support themselves. And truth be told, like for all the musicians listening, not all of them are going to be able to use their music to support themselves in a family and a lifestyle they want. I, I think there's ways that it's possible. Um, a lot of us are proof of that, but, but my question for you, uh, you self-identified as a wrestler, you were a professional wrestler for a long time. Uh, what skills did you learn as a pro wrestler that you then, uh, used in building your other businesses and brands? And even at the time, or even now, were you aware that you had this skill set, uh, from all this time in pro wrestling that could translate into other entrepreneurial endeavors? Professional wrestling taught me to be resilient. And I think I was always tough and stubborn, but never was I put into a position where I was forced to to rebound from so many setbacks and so many situations in the scope of the match and the scope of my career. Um, you know, all the way up until the end, I just, it was, I'm not a quitter. I don't quit. Um, the only reason I left wrestling was, uh, it was an act of self perseverance, but even more so now I've always found a way to reinvent myself into something that will bring me joy and, and possibly, hopefully, um, financial, uh, benefit. And 
if you look back in the beginning of my pub ice cream, I was pub ice cream, uh, I decided to file a trademark for pub ice cream because I figured I can't print shirts with pub ice cream on it. What's the point of, you know, having this? And then, you know, Pharrell, you guys not familiar with Pharrell? Yeah, funny hat Pharrell. BBC and Nerd ice cream. Pharrell, BBC ice cream Pharrell got me. Um, they denied, they, they basically put a stop to it because they don't want anybody using the word ice cream on apparel. So they stopped me and I said, you know what? Screw it. If I can't use that, then I'll do something else. So I started chubby little bastard. And then I thought to myself, wait, Snickers and like Hershey, like Hershey's and Mars might not want bastard in my username. So normally I'm like a big, you know, screw you type guy. My two, two of my biggest idols, um, are Howard Stern and Gary Vaynerchuk, and they're both too, like, do it your own way. But I'm like, I need to find a happy medium here. I'm going to be screwing myself out of some things. So Chubby Little Bastard became a clothing line, uh, uh, which also trademarked that got blocked, but that's a story for another time. Can you <laughs> trademark CLB Army, at least? I, I, I give it up on it. If, you guys, if it gets big and someone wants to steal Chubby Little Bastard, good luck. I mean, sure. it, I don't think anybody else is going to take that name from me. But... Um, so then I said, you know what, Kelsey and I were brainstorming. I need a new name. I need a new direction. And um, it was something that happened from the like, right when Cam was born. My 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 whole outlook on life and my account started shifting because obviously I have a kid now who's going to be involved more, and um, I became a more positive person. I, I started picking less fights, stopped arguing on the internet as much because I realized how pointless it was. And uh, we are where we're at today. And when our next child comes. Inevitably, the account will change yet again. Same name. I hope. <laughs> I hope nothing happens to that name. Uh, I'd really like to keep the name for consistency's sake. But um, I continue to bounce back. Continue to come up with things that people haven't done. And um, I'm not a genius, but I, I am a creative person, and I need. Uh, I've always searched for a creative outlet. I'm not a musical guy. I was artistic though. I loved. I loved art when I was younger. Pro wrestling became my art. And when I lost that, I, I needed an outlet. And no offense to, to personal training or coaching, it's not it's more of a science than an art. And uh, but what I do now is is my creative outlet. And like you see, like today, and sometimes one day I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do a review with Cam at a playground. And go figure, that's like everybody's favorite thing, right? Because it, it's something we we were playing. And I was like, you know what, I got my camera, I've got a snack, let's do it. And um, same thing with his playhouse in the backyard. I just, I, I'm like, that's fun. Let's see that. Or let's see a review inside of Krispy Kreme. Let's see this here. And it's just, it's fun to me. And it's like, it, it satisfies that creative side. And uh, thankfully I still have something like that at 36. It's important, man. I know there was a couple years where I, I didn't play music and uh, it, it wasn't so much that I felt the music that was missing, but it was that, that desire to, to create. Um, and, and, and I think for a lot of people listening to this, it's just innate within a lot of us. But I, I think the lesson is that there isn't just one way to express that. Um, so dude, as, as we start to wrap this up, we got some questions from people in a, in our Facebook group and okay. for those listening unfamiliar, uh, we have a private group, facebook.com slash groups slash tropic croissants. Uh, and with most of our guests, we give the opportunity to, to ask questions uh, for our guests. So the first comes from Darcy Lado, who I want to apologize to personally, because uh, the last time that Darcy asked a question, we referred to him as her. 
and, and he kindly corrected us. So, uh, Eric, for you, Darcy asks, what advice uh, can you give me for maintaining motivation for fitness over a long period of time? I found it pretty easy to, quote, take a break because of life stuff and then difficult to get back into the swing of things again. I get this question a lot. Um, Kelsey gets this question a lot. And it takes a lot of restraint to not just it's just basically call people out and say they, they don't care. Like you just, you're just not, you need to care more. But that's hard. That doesn't make sense to the average person who doesn't find pursuit of fitness engaging or exciting. I put it to him like this. The reason I, I train the way I do is it's just kind of, sometimes you got to find your why my why we talked about being a better dad. If something, and also I have, a, I have pride in myself and my appearance. You have to find a reason. If your only reason, everybody has a reason. Okay. Let me put it to you that way. If you're, if the, the, the least or the most obvious reason to exercise is to live longer. Because if you don't, I mean, if you, if you don't want to live longer, just, you know, do whatever you want because that's the, that's the way you do. If you want to feel like trash, don't exercise. Find your why. Most people will say, we'll figure out after some introspection, I want to feel better, I want to look better, um, or I want to live longer. If one of those three things isn't your answer, then honestly, don't. Don't put a square peg into a round hole. <laughs> don't make sure you work out. You know, I'm not going to, I don't want to, and it comes down to the diet thing too. It, when somebody's not my client and they're like, oh, I do keto. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm not going to try to convince them that that's not sustainable. You're not my, you're not my kid. You're like, when I see other parents make horrible decisions, like Kelsey and I'll exchange a glance and be like, we wouldn't do that. But we're not going to tell them that. So find a why. I know it's very Tony Robbins, but you got to have a, a motivation. Sometimes it's beyond just having abs. And for me, I found that in becoming a dad. Um, I never was scared of dying until I had a kid. Like legit. My, I, used to, I joked about it all the time. Like when I'd go, I'd go on a plane flight, my mom would be like, call me when you, get, you land in Philly or whatever. I'd be like, if, you, if we crash, you'll see it on the news, mom. It's not a big deal. Like you're going to know I'm dead. So, uh, but then since I had a kid, mortality became much scarier to me because all I could think about was, was him. Like, oh my God, him without me. Like I don't want him to, to grow up without me. Like I, I need to be here for him. So, um, I began to take my, my health level more seriously after that. And that's why uh, I don't do as many drunken fun sides of use anymore. Yeah, and uh, earlier you just alluded to with the diet to just find something that's actually sustainable and works for you. So right. in, in this case for, for Darcy, you know, obviously look, find something that you actually enjoy because the best plan is the one you actually do. But exactly. don't think it's going to actually last forever because, I mean, like there are so many things. You could go to a trampoline park and you could just go outside and do, walk and do things, whatever, you know, squat down and pick a log up, like whatever. You, you really you don't have to go to a conventional gym to feel like you actually put yeah. time into fitness. You know, just go do something that's active. Don't sit around all day long and watch TV. Diet-wise, too, just find something that's sustainable. And if it's not sustainable forever, well, it's cool. It just You'll pivot as you go. It's yeah. not a big deal. Cool. Um, next question comes from Chris Niche. Uh, so he's digging into to your wrestling past. He's asking how taxing was it uh, physically, but also mentally on you while performing as a pro wrestler? Uh, did you feel you were able to get sufficient breaks? Um, and if so, uh, uh, how? And, and he also adds that he loved your run as Eric Stevens, which is awesome. Oh, 
Thank you. That means a lot. Um, at the time, like I had a pretty busy schedule from 2007, 2010. I was booked almost every weekend between Florida and, and Ring of Honor and my out of country bookings. And, you know, wrestling is hard because the most amount of time usually you get to recover is five days, you know? And, you know, for example, I would fly out on a Friday, wrestle, uh, you know, Friday night, Saturday, fly back on a Sunday, sometimes do three shows. Um, and then you, it's Monday, you still have to lift weights. So gotta, you know, be in shape. So you're lifting weights, you're doing cardio. And then, um, once again, he comes back around the Friday, you gotta do it all over again. So you get maybe four days and they're really not that restful, especially with the way my job was. Some people had worse jobs than me, but working in the fitness industry, I had a personal trainer, a big box gym, got like up at 4 a.m., be in the gym by 6. You know, it was very taxing, not a lot of breaks. Um, so physically, I would say that there, it was, it was a matter of getting lucky. You know, if you got something really minor, like say it's an elbow bursitis, it sucks because it's not going to heal. You're not going to get enough time for the kids to stop and have see on that bitch and hope for the best and try not to take any bumps on it that make it worse. Um, sometimes I get like a, a real bad knot underneath my scapula or my sciatic nerve would flare up. But really, it was all, those are all kind of minor things. The mental side of it, we addressed, was the hard part for me. And the worst thing to me about professional wrestling, and this is why when I would never, if somebody's going to be called up, like, hey, you want to book you for, you know, maybe one shot and it would turn into something else. I wouldn't do it. The solitude of professional wrestling is something that is that will break some people, and it broke me. If you're de- if you're depressed and going through a rough time, the worst thing for you is loneliness. To be alone, to be by yourself with your own thoughts, and in wrestling, you find yourself in those situations constantly. You know, you drive to the airport by yourself. You get on an airplane. If you're lucky enough, you might have somebody who's on the same flight as you, going to the same show, but they're not sitting next to you, you know, whatever. And then you fly, you know, like when I do go to Germany, I'd go by myself. 10 hours on a cell, get to the airport, you know, get off, go to the, the, the hotel by yourself. A lot of these bookings, I'd be by myself. Um, and somehow got lucky to be that at the hotel. Okay, you got a couple other guys and you wrestle and you go home and you're flying home by yourself. And for me, Many of my, much of my time in professional wrestling at the end, well, I was single. I'd come home to the house, two pugs and nothing else. It was, it was rough for me. And, um, every once in a while, Kelsey will have something on, like, coach at a meet, or I could go, like, I went up to Ben and Jerry's. That was the last time I was away from, from Kelsey, uh, up in Vermont. And, uh, Kelsey and Cam were here. And I hated it. I hate being alone. And it's funny because I always classify myself as an introvert, which I am, but I'm not antisocial. So, um, that solitude, that loneliness, those hours by yourself, that, that's, especially when you're hurt, you get like an injury and you're just alone. And, um, I, I see why a lot of guys get addicted to, to pills and, uh, and get into drinking real hard. And I'm just, I didn't start drinking talking about Kelsey. I mean, I, I drank before, but Kelsey really corrupted me and we started drinking a lot more together. But, um, had I drank, <laughs> had I drank like that before, I probably would have used that as a big time crutch, uh, and a coping mechanism because I, it, it, it works pretty well in that respect. But, uh, the mental side of it for me was much harder than the physical. And knock on wood, I got pretty lucky. I never had any significant injuries. I busted my head open. I got scars on both sides of my head. Um, you know, a lot of residual like knees, my knees are dog shit. Um, my back's, my back's pretty healthy. Neck's good. My neck and back are good, which is the important parts. My joints are just trash. But this mental, mental side of it, man, 
I'm very, I'm very skeptical now, which is good. That's a good thing. Like, I don't trust anybody uh, in pro wrestling and fitness industry or pretty much the same thing, to be honest. Do you do any, uh, like, hanging work or inversions, like on a teeter hang-up for your back just to keep it healthy? And do you, you know that, that um, what is that neck contraption called that Rogan and everyone uh, else is talking about, like, DeFranco? So I just have, like, a neck hammock. You know, like, hangs in it. Like, where it lays down. And then yeah, like a, like a Pilates-type type deal. Like contraption for your neck, yeah. So, but there's, uh, like, that, that head contraption people put on and it strengthens their neck. Have you seen that one? Yeah, and it's just it, I, I was, it's just crazy to me that like guys like Rick Flair wrestled for like forty years and we're still taking you know slams off the top and it's just, it's crazy and it comes down to, it's like just like in powerlifting any strength sport it's genetics your longevity in the sport is determined mostly by genetics so good luck and good decisions help but really like some people are just built for the long run and some people aren't yeah maybe for context for this people can go watch the movie The Wrestler. Yes. A lot of this, yes. I think, would be relevant. Fantastic movie. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, I think it's a really good movie. Um, Were you movie. in that? Because Ring of Honor I mean, was. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the opening credits. You Whoa. Can very briefly. Um, I'm Michael Wolfenstein. You know, I was one of Randy Rand's, uh opponents in like, the posters they show you in the intro. And you can see my my tights, my, the butt, my butt in, it, in the background. And stuff. But that was a cool experience. I got – that was – get paid to like hang out and see Marissa Tomei in person, Mickey Rourke, he's a weird son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> Marissa Tomei though, like, I was like, wow, you look really good. I thought for sure she'd be beat when I saw her in person, but she looks just, it's, it's impressive. Um, and, uh, that was a cool experience. It was my first, first and only movie experience. So, but, uh, got paid to do that. And we basically sat in a hotel room and played, Xbox with Necro Butcher the whole time. So. That's great. You're living a full life there. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I tell this all the time. I've, loved, I've lived a very interesting life up until now. It's only getting getting cooler, to be honest. So, uh, Zach Henderson, who's, uh, I think he's, is it RKC, like Russian Kettlebell certified? Yes. Right? He's an RKC guy, and he is badass. He puts really great content out. He said, uh, he was the one who commented and said that he was really pumped that you were going to be on the show. Uh, he said, what does a, quote, day in the life look like? Uh, what are the biggest mistakes you see from personal trainers and or powerlifter coaches? And how has your coaching approach evolved over time? Whew, those are some big ones. Um, day in life's pretty varied, you know, today. Uh, I wake up at 5. If I had my brothers, I'd wake up at 4. But I don't want to make Kelsey mad because she's a light sleeper and high blood pressure. Especially now that she's pregnant, um, she's just she'll wake up and a feather, you know, landing on the bed. It's like she's up and she's mad. I'm not trying to get on her bad side. Uh, so I wake up at five and I get on the bike usually um, or the road, depending on what my training calls for. Because I don't have time the rest of the day to do my cardiovascular training, which is my main goal at this point is to be a uh, you know like a machine. I want to be, I want to have heart, heart, you know, healthy heart and lungs. I want to have great endurance. I'll do that first, usually four to five minutes to up to three hours sometimes, depending on what my training calls for. I'd rather do that on the road, but right now, like I said, it's, it was a little too cold for that. Um, and then I'll, you know, shower, eat, do a review cam in the morning. You got a lot of activities. You take them gymnastics, you do swimming. Uh, we go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We own the gym, so we go there and we train. And uh, the rest of the day is, like I said, every day is a little bit different. Today, Kelsey has a life coaching class, and she does it all online. 
he trained to be a life coach. And uh, so I took Cam out and we just did dude things with Walmart and the park and film the review and hung out and just have fun. And, um, you know, we come home, we just cook dinner, we do HelloFresh, HelloFresh is the bomb, Blue Apron sucks. And uh, every night, that's pretty much, that's pretty much, I did Blue Apron for like a year. I'm like, how many times do you give us cod? Like, cod is the worst fish. Stop mailing it in. So we switched to HelloFresh for good. But um, my day, you know, and this week's pretty fun. Uh, Wednesday, I go to Tampa to do the voiceover for my TV pilot, which we filmed almost a year ago. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a side venture for some people. So it's not a network production yet, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to shop that around. So every week we got something cool happening now, especially with Cam. He's going to be in school in August. My life is just very, becoming a parent is just doing stuff. Like literally, when you, if you want to, if you like free time, don't be, don't have a kid because if you want to have, do stuff, like you want to play Madden, just see us up till like one in the morning and feel like shit the next day. It's just the way it's going to be. You know, there's just time management's a very important skill. Um, biggest mistake that coaches make. That's a big one. Um, other than, then, okay. Uh, hitting on your clients or, and or having sex with them. That's a big one. Yes, that's a that is a big one. one. Nailed it. For therapists stop, too. Stop doing that. <laughs> For everyone. You're, you're making, you're, you're doing a service to the rest of us. As a guy who is not a creepy weirdo, um, and is loyal to his wife and, and never in my life have I had any sort of inclination for that, even as a single guy. You know, as a powerful coach now, I look at my female clients as, as my daughters. You know, uh, it's weird to even think about that, that other coaches can look at their female clients as, as objects. Of, you know, it's, like, it's not Tinder, dude. It's your profession. Take it seriously. But um, I think that people need to take their jobs. I think now with the, the advent of online coaching, which is what I do, people look at that as passive income. Online coaching is not passive income. It should not be. You should be taking it seriously. You should not be able to work a nine to five and do online coaching at the same time. Because if you've ever worked with a nutrition client or a female powerlifter that's a week out from a powerlifting meet, it's basically like being a therapist. Like you're going to have to talk people off ledges, write four paragraph emails, read four paragraph emails. And if you are being distracted by another job, you're not going to have time to do that. So don't think if you want to take on two or three people and help them out, that's fine. But if you want to make a living as an online coach, you need to clear your schedule and understand that that is a real job. And over time, my approach has not changed very much what I've gotten better at is not caring about what other people do. I am, I'm very open with my distaste for the, the fitness industry, the power of the community as well. But I, I can't, like I'm just, I tell people it's trash, but I don't worry about it because I can't control any of that. What I can control is how I treat my clients, how I set my clients up for success. And that's what I focus on. So, that's actually another word of advice for people who are just becoming coaches now. Focus on yourself and, and your clients. Focus on the clients. Forget yourself. Focus on the clients. Do the best job you can. Under promise and over deliver, and you'll be all right. Yeah, there was one other question that we don't even have to get into. We can save that for another time. I'll just ask him. But but Josh Pelk is a dude that we grew up with. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he was asking, uh, wanted us to ask how many wrinkles that he gives you, but we can say that for another time. Josh is Josh, honestly, if, <laughs> if we're doing a one out of 10 rating on the stress scale, Josh is like a two man. I've had clients literally almost causing to have breakdowns. Like, I've almost been in tears. They just frustrate me so much, but that's, that's the, the double-edged sword. If you're passionate about something, it will bring you the greatest joy and, and it will bring you so much fulfillment that it will also break you. Like, And that's the kind of guy I am. Pro wrestling did it to me. It gave me some of the greatest moments in my life and also some of the worst. Even social media. You know, I get great fulfillment, but you know when my follower count was going down, it was driving me nuts because I didn't know what was going on. And then sometimes when I post something that I think is hilarious to Cam and I, we get like 8,000 views instead of like 20,000. I'm like, what did I do wrong? You know, I thought this was hilarious. Why aren't more people, you know, why isn't this popping? But you'll drive yourself nuts about how this stuff. So, uh, but Josh is really easy. I mean, he's a goofball, but he is easy. He lives it. He lives this stuff. I mean, you know, he does the, he does what you do, you know, and he just needs someone to, to point him in the right direction. And he has, uh, his, his group of friends, you know, who do it as well are, are monsters. There's, you know, one guy in, in my weight class who, who holds the, the bench record in Maryland. Yeah. Who, you know, I think it's funny too, that it's amazing. Longer, I've been in it long enough now that I coach coaches. So right. it's, I feel really old. Like I, I think I coach five or six people who are coaches themselves, Josh included. So it's pretty right. cool. That's awesome. I haven't seen Josh in a while, but if he's listening, uh, I've always respected Josh for, for his passion and, and for his heart. Uh, he has both in spades. Um, he makes my job easy. He makes my job easy. So he's done, he's progressed nonstop since we started working together. So very cool. Yo, Eric, thanks so much for your time, man. This has been a lot of fun. Sure. Um, what I, what I really liked about you, especially just in, in a lot of the, the questions that you were answering is that, the, the things that you were sharing, your perspectives, whether on, on coaching or otherwise, uh, it's not just limited to that. And, and I feel like whether someone listening is a musician or they're a carpenter or they're a student or just a human being, uh, I think there's a lot of universal value that you shared with those listening. Uh, so on behalf of everyone who's listening to this right now, I personally want to thank you for that, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It was nice to, uh, to talk. And I was relishing the opportunity to, to kind of basically just ramble about things that are, are important to me and uh, if I can help a couple people that's, that's a bonus hell yeah how can people get in touch with you man and stay connected because you have a lot of things going on oh I do have a lot of things if you are interested in the coaching side of things Ken uh, Power Systems I'm going to spell it out for you guys because it's super unphonetic like we talked about it's K-O-E-N-R-E-I-C-H powersystems.com that's my coaching company uh, my email is coachkenry at gmail.com which is super easy to, to remember except for the fact that you have to spell it too so you understand why my name is Eric Stevens in wrestling no wrestling fans going to be able to pronounce that no offense to wrestling fans actually fucking they're dumb but um, most wrestling fans are dumb uh, you real quick have you gotten any feedback from the Black Panther movie with Eric Stevens character I lost it. Okay, so since you guys have video, um, I went in there and I was watching a movie and I was with a friend who isn't really familiar with my wrestling background. He's just another nerd friend. And they're like, Eric Stevens. I was like, 
whatever. You know, like nobody knew that nobody got I was like I turned around like I thought someone was gonna get it in the back like, <laughs> Dude, it's no, cool. Again, I, I got a Wikipedia page, like y'all can look it up, but another instance in like someone else took your shit. It's funny. I thought it was awesome. I was like, of all the names. I kind of I lost it to one of our best friends who's a successful musician, but also about ten years ago was doing lights for the band Justin and I are in uh He's known to many people just by Bagel, but his name also is Eric Stevens. Yeah, I, I was, it was just something, it was a name that I was like, I need something generic that's easy to say. I don't want to say all wrestling fans are dumb, but Florida wrestling fans are, for the most part, pretty dumb. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you've been to Florida, it's not, like, it's, it's tough. So Stevens is easy, and that's, and that's what I went with. So um, also my social media is expansive. I have many accounts, but I'm going to go with the, I'm going to just tell you guys about the, the mother, mothership as Zesty Rhodes would say, uh, family food dude at Instagram. It's you know, whatever Instagram, that's my Instagram handle on Twitter. Um, Eric is PBIC powered by ice cream. Uh, that wouldn't fit though. Thanks Twitter for that. And, uh, on YouTube, well, and this is the YouTube. I changed my name too many times. Now I've got the block on it. I got, I'm going to be able to change it in like eight months. It's chubby little bastard on YouTube. But if you go to Instagram, you'll be able to find all the other stuff. That's really like, like I said, the mothership and you'll be able to, to find all my other stuff. And at some point I'll get some like cohesive branding, but, uh, and we'll time, share all these for the time being. I'm just hoping that people are smart enough to figure out like how to get from the, Instagram account to the link to my YouTube in my Instagram account, which seems pretty difficult these days, but I can only do so much. Brother, well, as as a therapist, I want to thank you for sharing your story uh, with therapy. Uh, as someone who makes a living in pro wrestling, I want to thank you for what you've given to the business. And uh, as a creative and a human being, I want to thank you for sharing your truth with the world and with us tonight, man. Thanks for giving me a platform to do it. I'd like to do more of these, so it's nice to get more opportunities to do it. I never thought it would be interesting enough to, to talk, but uh, I'm glad I, I had the chance to do it. Yeah, man. Keep at it. Um, best of luck with the baby and uh, Mazel Tov. And uh, Team Lemon, stand up. <laughs> stand up? <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much, man. Hey guys, Jordan here one last time for the outro, episode 51. Uh, Eric, what a cool guy. Uh, just how serendipitous uh, this all was in that he was a former pro wrestler. Uh, and we had no idea uh, prior to booking him. Uh, so it's, it's cool just how all these things come together. I really enjoyed speaking with him. And what I thought was really nice for, for you all to hear and for me to hear as well is just... Uh, someone who's a professional athlete, a strong guy. He has very, uh, just deep and pure family values. And he's someone who's very open about, uh, body image and, and eating disorders and going through the process of therapy. And I think having strong males sharing in those ways, uh, is a service and a gift to the world. So for me, it meant a lot to share his story with all of you, uh, through chocolate croissants. Episode 51, that means next week is 52, which is a year. Do we celebrate the anniversary on 52, or technically do we do it on 53? I don't know, but guess what? Matt's going to be back next week, as he uh, told us. So uh, that'll be a treat. We should celebrate the next few weeks. Uh, 
One last time, natatat2, N-A-T-A-T-A-T, number two dot com. 25% off anything in their web store. Use the checkout code CHOCOLATE25. That's chocolate in all caps, followed by the numbers 25, natatat2.com. They're on Instagram as well. Check them out. Hey, we're on Instagram too, Chocolate Croissants Podcast on Instagram. Uh, as well as Facebook. You guys know about the Facebook group. Uh, our guest next week is going to be my buddy James Musselwhite. He's another person that I actually met through Ring of Honor. Uh, he's a photographer from the UK. He also uh, has a business taking portraits of children, which are pretty awesome. Uh, and he has a very inspirational story as well. He's a family man as well, too. So uh, if you're in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants, you will be able to get your question in for him. Uh, the plan right now is to interview him on Wednesday, whatever the date would be, uh, at 4 p.m. Eastern. So we'll have a couple days to get in uh, some questions if you would like to do that. Uh, Sonata Tattoo, uh, Eric Kenry, James Musselwhite next week. Uh, iTunes, help us out there. Rate, review, find Chocolate Croissants. Uh, it makes a difference for us, especially with how we're ranked and uh, getting some more people into this community. That would mean a lot to us. Also, whatever podcatcher you have, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever it may be, uh, you can search for Chocolate Croissants. You can subscribe to Chocolate Croissants. That helps us uh, with the download statistics uh, instead of just the streams that actually does make a difference. Uh, And that way you also can get all of these episodes into your phone and you don't need to use your data when you listen to it if you're not connected, connected, if you're not connected to Wi-Fi. Um, I think that's it, guys. Thanks again. It's been almost a full year since you've stuck with us. It means the world. We're uh, deeply appreciative and grateful for your attention, for your love. We will see you in the Facebook group and uh, wherever you are listening to this a week from now, we'll be back again. All right, until next time, my friends, Team Lemon stand up, and bye-bye.